Hi, welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly podcast from the Diocese of Birmingham, where we talk about how to live our Catholic life in Christ faithfully and with joy in this year of the parish and the Eucharist. I'm joined today by Eni Hickman of the Del Rey Collective. Eni and his wife, Kena, have been in full-time ministry for over two decades. They've worked for churches, mission companies, dioceses, and universities. They've missioned abroad and in their own backyard, on big stages and on intimate porches. As their website says, they've learned some stuff about some stuff. Their current apostle at the Delray Collective is about giving formation and encouragement to ordinary missionary disciples to open their homes and their porches and host their own life-giving dinners and gatherings. They believe this has the potential to change the world. Their motto is, love God, love neighbor, gather on a porch. Any welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you so much, Dr. Anders. It's awesome to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. you. You've got a very interesting ministry, but you also have a pretty interesting story. So why don't we start by, tell us who you are, uh, how you got to this point, and what it is that you're doing in the Delray Collective. Well, I, yeah, I, I would be remiss to, to, uh, to not mention kind of where, where I came from. I, uh, you know, I was always around ministry stuff. My, my mom was the uh, typist for our pastor, right? So um, the uh, weekly bulletins and the weekly pastor letters and all this, she, she started that. So I grew up a block and a half from uh, my parish. We had perpetual adoration in the chapel um, since like 1982 or something. And so the parish life and, you know, ministry and being around priests and religious uh, was just sort of part of my upbringing. Um, I knew the language of faith. I knew, um, you know, I could I could sort of, you know, repeat and rinse and kind of tell you everything about um, the Catholic faith as a young child. Um, but I didn't really develop a, a a real relationship or really know what faith alive meant probably until um, I was around my uh, freshman or sophomore year in college um, when I, you know, I had always been a fan of St. Francis of Assisi and the sort of the leaving of the world. I had gone to University of Texas to pursue um, a film. I, I wanted to be in film. And, um, and then also, uh, I was also a baseball player. So I was trying to walk on to the Longhorns and film. Neither of those things sort of worked out. I ended up joining a fraternity. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, what do you do when your dreams are going? Yeah, I join a fraternity. I don't know. That seems the right thing to do. Um, I, you know, I never, I didn't lose my faith in Jesus. Although I did not, I probably missed mass, man, like a total of eight times or something that semester, um, which is which was, I had never missed mass before. Um, at the end of my first year at Texas, I kind of said, I, you know, like Francis, I just wanted to leave the world and, uh, and, and get, get out of there. I had to leave Austin. Um, so any parents out there thinking of big, big party schools for their good Catholic kids, maybe just sort of take that as a warning. Um, but it was great for me. So I, I had, uh, I had sort of turned away. I drove home from Austin told my mom, you know, I, I need to get out of here. I need to change something. I, I had heard of this school, Steubenville in Ohio. Um, I had uh, I had read a few books by Dr. Scott Hahn. I had never been to the school and I just said, I, I need to, I think I need to go to that Steubenville school. So um, connected up there and began, you know, ministry work in college and beyond. I met my wife there. Oh, 
back up real quick. I wanted to join the, the, the Franciscan friars. And so I, you know, that was like sort of how I was going to go. I was going to go all in big beard, no more money, no more honey. You know, I'm just, I'm, I am all in. Um, and I ended up meeting a girl in uh, sacraments class actually, as we're discussing, you know, upper level sacramental theology, discussing marriage and family and, um, she was the sweetest thing. She's studying for religious life and she brought candy to night class. And so um, I just, you know, instantly was like, hey, this is the thing. My spiritual director told me I should go on some dates. And so Kane and I went out. I think I took her to Hardy's, like, you know, spent the big bucks on a uh, milkshake. And it was there. I, I just knew that we could actually make this thing, um, you know, uh, a reality that that uh, that to marry somebody missional could be really cool, and so um, well, with, we got with married. With a name right like Kana, with a name Kena. like Kana, you almost have to think like this is a person who is destined for the vocation of matrimony, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Right. So you know, um, I'm a big fan of wine too. You know, so it just sort of like that hit. It was great, Cana. Uh, um, Jesus's first miracle. She was a mir- she's a miracle in my life. It is actually pretty funny, just as a side note, when people ask about like pre-Cana, you know, like how you guys did pre-Cana, that's funny. (laughs) It's like literally pre-Cana for me. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we were married and coming in hot, we we wanted to, you know, we wanted to change the world. Uh, She's a convert to Catholicism from evangelical Protestantism. Her her dad was a pastor. Uh, He's now uh, a deacon in the Catholic Church. He's uh, head of diaconate formation in the Diocese of Phoenix. Um, anyway, her whole family came in, and um, yeah, we just sort of hit the ground running with mission. And at the time, you know, in in the late '90s, early 2000s, sort of the only avenue for young evangelists or missional types would be youth ministry. And so we went straight in um, to youth ministry and sort of designed this stuff. Um, yeah, beyond that, young adults and Catholic families, et cetera. And at a certain point, as our family began to grow, we have, we have, um, you know, eight children now we've been married in August will be 20 years. Um, the ministry world and our, our, our faith life in our family were kind of like on a collision course. Like, you know, we, I kept feeling pulled in two different directions because, um, you know, event-based programmatic ministry, right. Where you have to be at the church and, you know, receive people. Um, there's a, um, you know, a sense of, um, man, when my wife had to walk into mass, you know, and kids are going to be kids, but there's that added pressure of, oh, this is the youth minister's family. And, you know, so there were a lot of things kind of going on in our heart. God had placed on us, you know, this responsibility and, and we knew we wanted to go into mission, but the place of formal mission was kind of in conflict with the way our family, uh, we were operating. Um, I, I remember having this experience where I was trapped and I still do travel sometimes. Let me, let me stop you there for one second, because you're you're drawing attention to something that is parallels my own life and my own theological thinking. Mm-hmm. Like you, I grew up in a in a religious household. wasn't Catholic. Took the language of faith for granted. Came to a, a more personal uh, engagement with my faith in college, 
and uh, and like you transferred from a big university to a small liberal arts Christian school. In my case, it was Wheaton College. Uh, took oh, my yeah. girlfriend with me, right, and she became nice. my wife. Like you, oh, we came yeah. out. You know, you were at Steubenville, we were at Wheaton. Those two schools actually have an exchange, right? Even today. Oh yeah, of course. And no, I, I yeah, think they both yeah. kind of think they might poach the other, and I think Steubenville usually wins that, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, we came. I think we would change the world. We were going to go into missions. Right. I mean, same story, right? Same story. Yeah. But like, what what you had that we didn't have is in the evangelical world, there is no doctrine of sacramental marriage. Mm. There's no doctrine of sacramental marriage, and mm. and the idea of vocation—I mean, that word's not really used—but the idea of vocation in the Protestant world, evangelical world, is almost entirely oriented toward outwardly, outwardly towards evangelism, proselytism, mission work of some kind, and uh, and and so the idea is, if I'm going to serve God in a really engaged, enthusiastic way, it almost has to be in terms of outreach to somebody outside my home. And it wasn't exactly. until I became Catholic that I realized, well, the, the way the Catholic Church thinks about this is the vocation, the calling on the life of married people is primarily towards one another and their children. And it's precisely in, in, in building and growing a family in grace and virtue that one is of the greatest service to one's neighbor and to the world. And so, like, I am so uh, familiar with the yeah. conflict that you're describing, but you also had the means to address it in the sacramental life of the Catholic Church. Absolutely. You know, yeah, if you, if you don't mind, I'd love to run on that because I think it does really and truly, it comes down to the sacramental life, right? So my, because I'm baptized, I am called to mission. I am priest, prophet, and king. When I am married and I'm in, the, and I make that covenant, right? And I make that vow, with her, she is, and the you know the Holy Spirit in that in that mix, sending us as as a um, as a unit, right? And primarily, my my vocation is is to her. And um, when things come into conflict, whether that's you know work or play or you know hobbies, anything that comes between that is going to be in the way. And and I never thought that ministry was going to be one of those things that would come in the way, but it does. And 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 in and in modern in in modern terms, right? I don't think that. And so we set out to find sort of a way that as a family we could serve each other in that vocation um, and also serve, uh, those around us. Right. Um, I was going to tell you just anecdotally that, that I remember having this experience where I was leaving my kids and, and you know, it was sort of like one of the buzzwords, you know, years ago, you know, this idea of like a fatherless generation where like, there's just not dads around and, da, 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 and I'm flying somewhere, you know, leaving my children to go speak to this fatherless generation. And I'm going like, wait a minute. Okay. There's something awry here. What if, you know, I don't know. Are you familiar with the, the comedian, Brian Regan? You ever heard Brian Regan? It's I'm great, really with him. great comedian. He has this one bit, this one joke, and I'll just tell it really quick, but he's talking about, he said, I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a log truck and then another log truck passing that log truck. And he goes, couldn't a phone call just save a lot of time? You, know, like, <laughs> you had logs? Like, why are two log trucks passing each other? And I feel like that sometimes in the church, right? Like, we go on mission. It's a big deal. And everybody gets a T-shirt, you know, and we go on mission to Africa. And yet, like, 
African dioceses are sending us their priests, right? And so we kind of have this idea where, yes, it's good to go and experience, you know, uh, abroad and experience foreign mission, et cetera. But really where the church grows is in that local way. So if our assets and our resources are poured um, in a really intentional local way, AKA the parish, um, then, you know, we sort of save on gas money or we save in airfare, right? We can all sort of stay where we are. And, um, you know, one of our, just sort of our, our patronesses, Mother Teresa, you know, has that really famous quote, you know, is stay where you are, um, find your own Calcutta. And it, so that was that, that, that whole thing, you know, as we discern that and, and listening to, um, yeah, listening to God and the saints as a, you know, just as a stay home, stay here. What could we do here? How can we um, continue to pour into our marriage and our family um, while, um, you know, answering the call uh, to be the church in the world? And um, yeah, so that's kind of where where all of this uh, Delray Collective, um, Adore Ministries, Family Dinner, this is kind of where all this came out of is this tension between um, you know, family life and, um, the call to missionary discipleship. Okay. So now so, describe the yeah. ministry of Del Rey uh, to collective for yeah. people who don't know about it. What is it that you do? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's a collective. So we noticed years ago that, um, well, let me back up just a, just a little bit. We're in Arizona. I was a part of, um, life teen at, uh, at a lot at, at the very grassroots level in Arizona and, um, in Mesa. And I was the youth minister at St. Timothy's there in Mesa. And, um, you know, we lived in a pretty cookie cutter neighborhood, suburban neighborhood, the one where nobody really looks at each other. And if you have to look at each other, you're like, ah, you wave and then you hurry up and get into the garage and shut the door before you get out. So you don't have to engage anyone. Right. Um, pretty typical. And I, we were coming home, we had this experience where um, we were coming home from mass and my son on the way home is asking his mom, asking my wife, Kana, if we can meet our neighbors when we get home. And she's like, I don't know, let's talk to dad. Let's talk to dad. So then at breakfast, he, he pipes up and he's like five years old and he says, dad, can we meet our neighbors? And I said, and I'm like, why? Now at the time I'm literally flying around the country doing missions, even abroad and, you know, foreign missions. Um, speaking. And my son says, we need to meet our neighbors. And I say, why are we like selling something? We're doing like uh, chocolate. What, what's, what's happening? Why are we have to meet our neighbors? And he says, my Sunday school teacher told me that Jesus said that we have to love our neighbors. And so I thought we should meet them. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, you, you talk about you know, you, you, you talk about conversion, you talk about like, this was one of the most profound, um, you know, experiences of conversion, because all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, could Jesus have meant my neighbor, my like, actual wait, neighbor, what? my actual <laughs> neighbor, like my neighbor, neighbor, how, wait a minute. And then, so then the way that we were, you know, the way that, 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 that fell into that same tension we thought for, wait a minute, what, wait a minute, what, why am I, oh my gosh, what if, what if God meant our neighbor, neighbor, and you start doing the math on that, and you go, okay, if, if this is genius, this is genius, this is like the ultimate, you know, sort of scheme, Jesus, this is genius, if every 
believing Christian disciple simply loved their neighbor neighbors, loved them with the truth, loved them with lots of things. I mean, you know, not just, I love you, man, like, but bringing them to the heart of love, who is God, well, shoot, man, that, that might work. All of this talk about what do you do with culture and how do you engage culture and how do you do all these sort of questions of, well, we need more billboards and we need more politicians in the white, you know, we need this and that and that and all these things. And all of a sudden it kind of hit me, it struck me that if we simply obeyed this command, that we could soon see a change in culture. If, if we could, if we could do it. So this okay, is where... Okay, so let me ask you this. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is brilliant. I mean, it's fantastic. I love it. But you know, and I know, if you go back to any building built in our... Any residential construction in our country that's more than 100 years old, they have front porches because everybody already had an expectation they were going to know their neighbors, right? That's right. Now, nobody builds front porches. They build decks and patios in the backyard, that's in the right. fence... And the garage that shuts when you walk in the door. So the, right. the whole infrastructure of our society works against what you're talking about. That's right. So this is yes. this is a very reasonable thing your son asked, mm -hmm. but he doesn't know what he's up against. Right. And you That's do. Right. And it probably That's put right. the fear of God in you to even think about how do I go walk over to my neighbor's house and knock on his door when he's not on his front porch? And he right. may not want to hear yeah. from me. No, or he's skeptical. Right? You know, we, 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 right. I, I think that there's something to proximity um, that, or, 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 or distance, I should say, that brings about assumptions, right? There's, there, I can look at my neighbor's yard um, and make assumptions about him, or I can see the political sign that he hangs up there, like, and make assumptions. But if I don't know my neighbor, I'm just going to continue. Those assumptions just keep building. So the amount of trust that we've lost, to your point, by not being in proximity with our neighbors, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's, it makes it even harder. Anecdote, this is, again, this is another anecdote. When we first began, for years, there were people on the other end of our block who thought that we were sell every because we because we we started gathering every week. Essentially, that's how it all began with our neighbors. We invited our neighbors into our home for a meal uh, once a week. And we've done that now for. Um, and how did yeah, you do that? Did you literally did you walk over and knock on the door? Did you put something in their mailbox? What did you do? Yeah. So we you know, we we initially sent uh, we we would send uh, kids are great. Right. Kids are kids are amazing at sort of breaking down all all those barriers. And so um, some of our older kids, we had little cards that little invites that we um, passed out uh, down our block. Um, since then, we've heard of like a number. So there's like the collective. Now it's a collective. There are over 700 homes that are doing this across the country. Um, we're going to, we're, we're beginning to update our map. And so there'll be some stuff on our website to see, but we've heard of some awesome ways to do this. So some people have front yard signs where it's just like open porch this day, this time. Uh, so as people are walking by, they can see it. Um, we've helped design, uh, door hangers, you know, like the, the real estate agents do where, you know, you hang it on the door. We've, we've, we've seen that. Of course, um, you know, newsletters and different things like that. But really, it is sort of just an organic word of mouth. And, you you know, the program is an anti-program program. 
And so you also don't want to make it super, you know, professional um, because then it feels like, all right, this guy has an agenda. Um, we obviously have an agenda to love. We obviously have um, an agenda to bring as many people to Christ as possible. But sometimes agendas get in the way um, in that pre-evangelization zone. And so um, so the word of mouth, like, hey, come on over. Um, they're much more likely to come over for a beer and a brat than they are um, to a Bible study. Right. Uh, those that wouldn't darken a door. And so um, we found out very quickly that, again, to your point, that, that people are hungry for community, no matter what religious background they, they are, they're hungry for community. And so um, we actually live in a Jewish neighborhood um, with uh, some Muslim neighbors, um, a lot of evangelical Protestants and, um, you know, and Catholics all alike. Uh, we get together. Uh, we don't agree on a lot, but we agree that the tacos are good. And that's a good place to start is just uh, is right there. Um, so this started on, in Arizona. It started in Arizona, but you, now you're doing the same thing in Texas. Um, right. In each community, I imagine there was they were fairly diverse gatherings. I would suspect. And did you find that some? If the goal is 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 friendship, did you find that some genuine friendships emerged out of this? And uh, how long did that take? Of course. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I totally agree. I mean, friendship. Friend, friends first in the pre-evangelization zone, you know, building trust and rapport um, is key. And absolutely. I mean, some of our, you know, some of our best friends obviously are from these, uh, these gatherings. Um, it's to the point now where people just come over, you know, there's a set time, but people are sort of walking in. This is my, this is my home. Um, we've come home to neighbors in our backyard just hanging out when we're out of town the uh the open porch continues we'll have neighbors that uh, that'll host you know for us in our in our in our backyard um so yeah it, it is uh it's a great place for friendship i mean god's always been about food and i lo i love food I, I i suspect you guys do too but i mean it it, it really does so much comes back to this i don't you know as far as you know the apple right um, the manna, the lamb, the, you know, of course, the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper, the Eucharist. Um, it's around a table where we, uh, you know, where we where we build communion and community. Um, so yeah. the food's got to be good. Yeah, got to be good food. You can't just, you know, put out a bowl of Doritos and expect people to to want to come to your house next time. Now, you, you're you're doing this. uh in your own mind, this is a stage of pre-evangelism. So at what point in your life has this translated in from pre-evangelism into evangelism? Well, I, yeah, and I would say it's very circular. Um, it, these types of gatherings can be everything, um, minus the sacraments, right? Um, yeah, so except marriage, I guess, is always present there. So, but... Yes, pre-evangelization, but oftentimes evangelization happens. There's, uh, you know, um, I have a, a friend who came around for like a year and um, just hanging out. We're talking about sports. We're talking about music, et cetera. 
And about a year in, he comes up to me. He's a little mad. He's a little frustrated. He goes, any, he's like, I just saw you on YouTube. Like you're a, you're like a ministry guy. <laughs> like, what are you, you know, like, and he goes, when are you going to tell me about Jesus? <laughs> and I said, I guess right now, man, like, well, let's do, you know, like, let's talk. He had been estranged from the church. He'd been away from the church, but his wife was asking questions. She wanted to go back to church. She wanted to bring her kids. They all, they all came into the church. I mean, they sort of come, you know, and, and uh, so, so it happens organically, but it does, it's not in the sort of out front sort of way. And then the, the, on the back end, for those who are disciples, we get this amazing school. Like I always say the table, the family table really is the first school of evangelization. I think, you know, simply because if you can visit and, and not strangle a person who is you know, spitting food across and going crazy and never sitting down as far as kids go, like you, you can, you can hang with anybody, right? Anybody who has a dif differing opinion. So um, these gatherings also become a school for those who are, um, you know, who are already following Jesus and just don't know or have the capacity to go outside their comfort zone or outside their parish walls to evangelize. You get real life training in what do you do when somebody, and this happened, this happened one time, uh, somebody came out like on our porch or late night, you know, 1130 at night, there's just a few people gathered, you know, a young man who has been around for a long time stands up. Hey guys, I just want you to know, this is who I am. This is what's going on. What, what do you do? How, how do you do this in real time? Cause we can, write articles and we can do podcasts and we can talk about all the ways that we should address those who have same-sex attraction. But what do you do when it's a friend right here who, who, you, who you love and is in your community? How do you deal with that? So I think that, you know, for, for like, I mean, like I said, it's, it's very circular. So there's those who are being pre-event, you know, pre-evangelization, those who are being evangelized and those who are being sent in that way um, so we've had people who have come from our neighborhood, who've moved out of our neighborhood and then began, you know, begun their own open porch in their new neighborhood as well, based on this idea that, um, you know, gathering, gathering people together, uh, we can be on mission in a ordinary way, in an ordinary way, um, not, you know, you know, it's not a stage, it's not a podcast. And I think, Nowadays, you kind of feel like that. If you want to go into ministry, you have to have something big, a book, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it can be discouraging for lay people and lay mar married people sometimes. Like, oh, what do I do? I guess I got to become an usher or a catechist or something like this. When really, all you need to do is open your door and, um, and, and God can set up those divine appointments. So how would you encourage people um, who... Uh, are intrigued by what you're doing, but they say, you know, my my family structure, or maybe my personality, is not really conducive. I mean, Eni, he seems like a really outgoing guy. He's a public speaker. He's probably an extrovert. You know, maybe I'm divorced. Maybe my wife and I are having marital trouble. Maybe we got a kid who's running off the rails. Uh, maybe we're not we're not the life of the party kind of guy. You know, if we invite our neighbors, maybe they'll be bored. Maybe they won't come. Maybe they'll see what a mess we are. Um, 
but we'd still like to do something by way of pre-evangelism, and we're kind of inspired by the idea. What would you say to that person or that family? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of roadblocks, right? We're always going to find um, some sort of an excuse, and 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 I'm not saying like you know I'm not I'm not throwing everybody under the bus. There are legitimate reasons that you can't do this. Um, but could if you I adapt it? To, could I, you kind of tone it down and do it on a smaller I do. scale? You know, I do right, like we do even right. So you can imagine. I mean, we're a family of ten. You know, all of our we've got all sorts of problems. There's a kid vomiting, and we're about to open the door. You know. Uh, you know, or we've just had a bad day or Kane and I have been in a, a tiff for hours or, and the last thing we want to do is invite people into that. Right. And, and so we, we come up with this, ah, we can't, we can't do it. Um, I have come to believe that God wants us to like lace up even before we're ready, um, before we're perfect. God wants to use us in our imperfections. Right. And say, no, nah, you, you're fine. And and as far as the, you know, revealing our, man, it did, it changed our life because as you say, um, we're letting people into our mess. And oftentimes as, you know, as you know, you could Google it. Why are Christians so, right? It's like, you know, righteous or self-righteous, et cetera. When people come into our home and they're like, oh, you're like, really normal <laughs> you know, like we we by this by your 12 passenger van we thought you were you know we would just be covered in statues and everything like you guys are normal people um so you know yeah we have problems and we you know in our personality actually both kane and i are introverts i can turn it on i'm one of those you know that can turn it on but then i go and just like get in the fetal position um when everybody leaves um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why, um, you know, legitimate reasons that people can't do it, but I would just encourage anybody that if it's like, uh, it's personality, it's this, it's that, um, to commit to doing something like this, even monthly where you can gear up and you can get ready and you can vacuum and you can tidy and you can, you know, sort of thing. like to commit to it, um, is always the best way to go. If you say right now, man, I'd love to do that. We should do that. And you start looking for a date, you're never going to find a date. You know, you ever see people you haven't seen in a while, and you're like, man, we got to get together. And then you walk away and you're like, we're never getting together. Like, that's never going to happen. So like, how do you say think that this ministry, time. how has this impacted yeah. your children? Yeah. Um, so uh, in, in very positive ways, um, they are way more open, I would say, to listening, um, to uh, differing opinions. They're, they're way more, um, sort of adaptable to, uh, you know, situations where you might encounter, um, people again, that, uh, that aren't like you. I mean, I, 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 I look at the way that Jesus walked and where he walked and who he hung out with. And it was really just everybody who wasn't like the, the, the common religious people of the time. Right. Um, my, and I'm not saying he didn't spend time in the temple at all because he did there too. But when he was out and he was walking, it was always those that were like, why are you hanging out with them? My kids in a very positive way are able to now go and sit, I think with the loners or those that look different or those that act different or are strange. Um, they're way more comfortable now to, uh, to, to engage them. 
um, they're world changers too. Like they, they really do. Um, yeah. Want to, want to change um, this the current culture. So, so, so do you feel like it's been very I mean, you positive. Had a, you had kind of a wake up call, sort of a, sort of an insight and a transformative experience when your son put that question to you those years ago. And you, you had a goal mm-hmm. in your own life of how can I stop going across the country and leaving my family to talk about good fatherhood, right? Do you feel like your present <laughs> ministry, have you realized that goal? I mean, has the transformation brought you to where you want to be there? Well, it's constantly, yeah, it's a moving target, right? Um, as soon as we get someplace, there's more to go. Um, it's, it's, it's the beauty of, um, you know, entering into communion with the divine life. It's further up and further in. And, um, so no, I mean, we're not done at all. Like it's a, uh, it's, we're, I'm a work in progress. My marriage is a work in progress. My family's a work in progress. And I would say, you know, Delray collective, um, is, uh, is this collective of, of folks who are, um, imperfect and, uh, you know, uh, serving a perfect God, inviting people into relationships. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm very hopeful that this, uh, that this movement continues to grow. You know, while you were discussing that, a name came to me that I used to read a number of years ago, a Catholic um, uh, author named James Stinson, who mm. writes a lot on families and fatherhood and raising children. And he was a school administrator and a founder of several uh, independent Catholic schools. And he, over the course of decades, he noticed that some kids just thrived and others didn't. And he wanted to figure mm. out if there were some commonalities in those that did well. And he began to look for those points of commonality, and he kind of compiled a profile of the family that would produce these these thriving, flourishing kids. I'm not going to go into the whole profile, but one of the things that he noticed was that the children of entrepreneurs tend to, tended to do better than the children hmm. of professionals. And the common denominator he felt like was, you know, economic change in our society over the last 80 years has tended to move parents outside the home for their jobs. Whereas for most yep. of human history, for most of human history, parents would have worked in and around the home, and if, you know, mostly in agriculture, honestly. And, uh, and entrepreneurship, family-owned business, is one domain where that tips, typically remains the case. The whole family will be involved in the enterprise. And so mm-hmm. previously, parents were the ones that brought their kids to maturity. But in our culture, more and more, parents are going off someplace and peers and television and public schools are bringing children to maturity. Mm. And it doesn't mean you have right. to be an entrepreneur, right? But I found that insight right. very fruitful to think that, you know, hey, whatever I do in my life, whatever my job is, I have to remember that as this is physically taking me away from home, somebody other than me is raising my kids. That's and, right. And, uh, uh, and that dynamic is tremendously important. And so I love, yeah. you know, you said it's a moving target. But yeah. you're clearly, you're, you're, your children are involved in this ministry. So your public life in the church and your private family life are, are sort of integrated here in a way that's been fruitful in your life and your children's lives and your neighbor's lives. And I think that's very beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I mean, I, I'm not, um, you know, I, I'm never the guy that's going to like, hey, we did this thing and I'm going to pat myself on the back and eat a cookie. Um, you know, I'm always sort of looking for, you know, how to elevate, how to do this better. Um, and I would say that as, as our kids are becoming, you know, teenagers, I mean, yeah, there's difficulties there. There's difficulties being even in a public space for, you know, one day a week, 
um, you know, for, for kids to, you know, like you said, entrepreneur, it, it reminded me, you know, nowadays, you know, you would use it as like, you know, sort of branding, like, you know, there's a, there's a Hickman family brand that we all need to toe the line. Right. And even though dad is not saying, you know, straighten up and you can't wear that. And this, you know, all those things, you, know, you have to look the part. I would never do that but they get it like, all right, this is what we're doing. When we open the door every week, they understand and they're great. Like they're, there welcoming. If they know, if they see the chip bowl is empty, you know, they're, they're dumping chips in. If they, you know, somebody doesn't have, you know, why can I get you some more? I mean, they're, they're right on it. Um, you know, hospitality as well has sort of lost its, you know, Christian hospitality has sort of lost its meaning um, to, the idea of maybe like Southern hospitality, you know, where you're sort of waiting on people, but we believe that true hospitality, you know, and this is sort of, um, you know, where, you know, where, where the table fits in. And even, um, are you familiar with the the term, the third, like a third place? It seems like you're, you are interested in societal, uh, you know, norms and things like that. Like, so post, right. So post world war, to the GI Bill gave gave everybody a home, and so developers built living communities separate from barber shops, you know, the market, the city square, the church, etc. They were just sort of this is where you live, and then this is where you go to work and right, do your thing. Right. And so, um, so prior to that, prior to these living communities, these suburbs, the idea, the automobile obviously changed a lot of that. Um, were these places of third place, like, uh, you know, uh, the piazza or the park, um, the benches, the pub, um, you know, the the common room, sure, sure. whatever it might yeah. be, the place where it's not work and it's not home and you can sort of stay there for as long as you need or as little as you need, but it was a place of meeting. And so... Um, you know, Christian hospitality from the beginning was a place where all were welcome, right? You, everyone is welcome. Um, come as you are, and um, you're free to be. You're free to be you here, as opposed to this idea of um, you're coming into my home and I'm going to serve you little sandwiches on platters, right? Uh, more, more. Of the idea is, hey, come in. You're welcome. You are welcome. You, you, your person is welcome um, with all of your imperfections and all of your greatness. Um, you're welcome in here. So we're trying to hearken back to that idea of the third place and um, and true Christian hospitality. Beautiful. Of, um, you know, recognizing the dignity in every person and their story, as opposed to, you know, sort of prejudging them based on um, outward appearance or faith background. So any, if somebody wanted to attempt what you're doing or get involved in the Delray Collective or get more information or maybe some insight and tips on how to do this better, where would they go? What would you offer them? What should they do? Yeah, so I'm I'm not much of a social media guy anymore, although you can find um, me there or you can find us there. Um, my name's Any Hickman, E-N-N-I-E Hickman. And so that's on Facebook, um, Instagram, it's a unique name, so it's pretty easy to find. You can Google DelrayCollective.com. You can find out more there, um, how to start, how to register your porch. Fantastic. Well, Annie, I can't tell you much. I appreciate it. This has been fantastic. 
uh, you're welcome to come to our porch anytime that you come to the neighborhood. Yeah, and, vice uh, versa. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if you're listening to the podcast next week, we've got a special guest, Mary Margaret uh, Burkle, parishioner at St. Paul's Cathedral and coordinator of Dinner and a Decade, which we think is a kind of a similar, a little bit parallel idea, right? Let's have dinner and pray a decade of the rosary. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please like us, recommend us to friends and neighbors. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Uh, even play us on your front porch. So thanks again, Eni, and those for listening to Living Catholic. <laughs>